This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Carol Van Dam, and here's what's coming up. The African Union has been persistent in seeking ways and means for bringing about peace, security, and stability in Ethiopia. That was former Nigerian President Olusogun Abasanjo, a negotiator for the Ethiopia-Tigray peace talks that yielded a ceasefire agreement today. Also, Kenyan President William Ruto presided over a ceremony for peacekeeping troops being sent to the eastern DRC. Suspected al-Shabaab militants carjacked an ambulance and kidnapped the four people inside. And scientists say an invasive mosquito species was likely behind increases in malaria in two countries. All this and more coming up on Africa News Tonight. Just a short time ago, delegates from the Ethiopian government and the Tigray rebels signed a ceasefire after more than a week of talks in Pretoria, South Africa. The announcement came one day before the second anniversary of the start of the conflict in Ethiopia's Tigray region. Since the negotiations began, intense fighting has continued unabated in Tigray, where government troops backed by the Eritrean army and regional forces have been waging artillery bombardments and airstrikes. The army has captured a number of towns from the rebels. Diplomatic efforts to bring the government and the rebels to the negotiating table escalated after combat resumed in late August, upending a five-month truce that had allowed limited amounts of aid into Tigray. After the ceasefire was announced, the Ethiopian delegate, Ambassador Redwan Hussein, thanked the African Union and other facilitators at the talks. We thank the observers, Dr. Wakina Gereyo, the Secretary General of IGAD, Sana Tete, the Special Envoy for the Secretary General of the United Nations for the Horn of Africa, and Ambassador Mike Hammer, the U.S. Special Envoy for the Horn of Africa, for accompanying and supporting these peace talks. We shall count on their continued support to Ethiopia to quickly move Toward this rebuilding communities affected by this conflict, the level of destruction is immense, and thus darkness are massive. We thank our brothers from the other side also for their constructive engagement to allow the country to put this tragic period of conflict behind us. The Tigray delegation leader, Gitachu Rita, said he hoped both sides are able to implement the deal. Reporter Tuso Kamalo has been staked out at the foreign ministry in Pretoria where the talks were held. Tuso, thank you for reporting on the breaking news at the talks, and thanks for joining us this hour. We heard from former Nigerian President Olusugan Abasanjo saying the two parties have formally agreed to the cessation of hostilities as well as the systematic, orderly, smooth, and coordinated disarmament, end quote. What about the Eritrean forces? Any word if there's agreement that they will leave the Tigray region immediately? Reporters indeed posed that question to say what will happen to the Eritrean forces. And responding to that question, former Kenyan uh, President Uhuru Kenyatta said they expect all foreign sides to accept that the people of Ethiopia have chosen peace and hence they should also leave the people of Ethiopia to enjoy uh, their newly uh, acquired peace. And of course, all sides about uh, the, Eritre- the Ethiopian uh, government side and uh, the Tigray forces side uh, or delegation side, all of them expressed commitment to ensure that guns are silenced and peace prevails, which means that if Eritrean forces choose to remain, they will have no support from both sides. 
How is the agreement going to play out in terms of who monitors the, the cessation of hostilities? According to the uh, to, to, to the supervisors of this uh, of these peace talks, uh, uh, AU will monitor the, 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 the peace itself on the ground, but it will do this by appointing uh, officers or peace monitors who will go to the ground to supervise the implementation. And these officers that are appointed, uh, they say that they will also appoint experts in different uh, fields or in different areas who will be on the ground to see that everything is done according to what has been agreed on this uh, peace document. And also, uh, it is expected that commanders uh, of both sides will hold regular meetings to, to ensure that their forces uh, also adhere uh, to the talks that have happened. But also, uh, the, the former president, uh, um, Uhuru Kenyatta, emphasizing that monitoring can happen and the support can be given, but ultimately uh, the decision to maintain that, that peace and implement the agreement lies with the people of Ethiopia. And Tuso, can you describe for us a little bit the scene? Did the, the representatives for the two sides or even the African Union, which was mediating the talks, take any questions? The African Union indeed took questions and uh, responded to, to journalists, but um, uh, the instruction was given that uh, no question will go to the delegates uh, of both sides. So they did not respond to any question. But what happened is that uh, they both read the peace agreement, the other took part one, the other took part two, meaning uh, emphasizing that they are both in it, they have both agreed, and also they took group photos together. Uh, even uh, uh, former uh, Kenyan uh, president asking them to mix and mingle during that photo session, and we saw them uh, getting together, uh, showing uh, for real that uh, the peace that they agreed is the peace that they both support. And of course, all of them both expressing their full commitment during their statements in honoring the agreement and making sure that the guns are silenced and silenced for sure so that a peace of tens and is restored again in Ethiopia. That is Tuso Kamala reporting live from Pretoria. Thanks so much, Tuso. Thank you. Kenyan President William Ruto presided over a ceremony on Wednesday for troops being sent to the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo to lead a regional force that hopes to protect civilians and bring peace to the region. Mohamed Youssef reports from Nairobi, Kenya. Kenyan troops are heading to the Democratic Republic of Congo as part of a force sent by the East African community. The multinational forces will try to guard civilians in eastern provinces that are home to dozens of armed groups which fight for political control and control of the region's rich mines. In a ceremony at a military training camp in Nairobi, Kenyan President William Ruto said his country will help facilitate peace and stability in DR Congo. Under the banner of the East African Community Regional Force, you are confronted with the responsibility of demonstrating the African Union's clarion call, Africa Solutions to Africa Problems. You are also charged with delivering this noble mandate to the highest professional standard. This standard guarantees the protection of civilians, facilitates the achievement of sustainable peace, and creates a conducive environment for establishing democratic space underpinning regional and national prosperity. 
Kenya will be the second East African nation to send troops to the Eastern DRC after Burundi. Officials did not disclose the number of troops Kenya is sending to the DRC, but said it has the capability to do the job. Kenya's Chief of Defense Forces, General Robert Kibochi, said he expects a good reception from the Kinshasa government. Uh, we are very hopeful that uh, they should be able to receive as well, uh, because we are coming to help. Uh, we've never been there before as East Africa community, uh, so hopefully uh, they will accept us as we get in. Some Congolese civilians and politicians oppose the deployment of more troops to the region. They accuse a thousand of UN peacekeepers already present of failing to protect civilians against armed groups. The Democratic Republic of Congo was admitted earlier this year to the East African Community Regional Bloc, becoming the seventh member. The Congolese troops are engaged in a fight against the M23 rebel group, which is accused of targeting civilians. The Kinshasa government has accused Rwanda of supporting M23 a claim denied by Kigali. Kenya will station its troops some 10 kilometers from Goma City, where they will conduct operations in an effort to return normalcy to the region. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. You're listening to Africa News Tonight. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, visit voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and television programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. The International Monetary Fund has tentatively agreed to loan Tunisia $1.9 billion to be dispersed over four years. But questions are being raised across the political spectrum whether it'll have the positive impact that many hope for, or will it be too little, too late to save the drowning economy? Monji Doidi, president of the Tunisian United Network, discussed this development with VOA senior analyst Mohamed El Shanawi. Tunisia originally requested about $4 million from the IMF, but the only uh, received about half of that over a four-year period. At the same time, we have to remember that Tunisia also still owes the IMF another $2 billion on top of other loans from other international institutions. And uh, it is required that Tunisia starts making some payments on those loans starting in 2023. So I think in short, looking at the amount of the IMF loan that that there is an initial agreement on, it's not going to be enough even to plug the budget deficit in the fiscal year 2022. It is a considerable deficit, mainly because it was based on an estimate of the price of oil to be around the $75 per barrel. But we know that the oil prices have gone up since then. And that created a major deficit in the country's budget that Tunisia is absolutely struggling to take care of. In addition to the current economic and financial crisis in Tunisia, this crisis that Tunisia is facing is not going to be properly addressed through this loan. The reason for that is simple, is because this loan comes with very tough conditions, some austerity measures that are required of Tunisia so they can qualify for this loan. And these measures, as we know, include reduced 
reducing subsidies on essential goods, lifting some of these subsidies even on gas and oil consumption in the country. All of this is going to add to the, on top of obviously the inflation rate that Tunisia is facing, like these record numbers of inflation is slowing the economy down is bringing the economy to a grinding halt. That's not going to solve the problem. And Tunisia right now needs an influx of cash, mainly to restart infrastructure projects, projects that are going to give Tunisia two things. One, create jobs for Tunisians and kind of drive the unemployment numbers down, but also projects Tunisia can export either goods or services where they can bring some much needed hard currency it is for Tunisia to be able to buy some of the products that they, they cannot produce in Tunisia or they don't produce enough of them that we've seen Tunisia struggle to make those payments lately because, because they don't have enough currency. So the IMF loan is going to be a band-aid. It is not going to be enough to get Tunisia out of its current crisis. But the IMF agreement corresponds to conditions set by several partners of Tunisia before considering bilateral financing. Thus, IMF financing should open the door for other financing from other countries. Isn't that good for confronting the economic crisis in Tunisia? I would say under normal circumstances, that is a good thing. You usually, typically, you go to the IMF loan, to IMF and and get a loan from them, and that typically opens the door for other countries and other institutions to step in and provide other loans and other monies to regenerate an economic upturn. Unfortunately, this requires an act of diplomacy. This requires the Tunisian government to be out and about kind of building relationships with other countries who can provide this kind of help to Tunisia with the IMF loan. Unfortunately, Haïssi Saïd and his government has failed to build these kind of relationships. Uh, actually, he managed to even sour some of the relationships that we've seen historically Tunisia maintained, even with the European countries, with the US, with Morocco lately. That kind of diplomacy and that kind of image that Tunisia has projected outside is going to make it more difficult for Tunisia to find partners who are are willing to lend a hand and maybe take a gamble on the Tunisian economy and trying to get the country out of this crisis. That is Manji Daoudi, president of the Tunisian United Network. He was speaking with VOA senior analyst Mohamed Al-Shanawi. A Kenyan official says suspected al-Shabaab militants have carjacked an ambulance in the country's northeast and took the driver, two paramedics, and a patient toward the border with Somalia. Ahmed Hussein reports from Wajir, Kenya. Security forces in northeast Kenya are searching for four people who officials say were abducted by armed militants Tuesday evening near the town of Mandera, near the borders with Ethiopia and Somalia. Mandera County Commissioner Orismas Kiata says suspected al-Shabaab militants hijacked an ambulance as it was on its way to Elwak sub-county hospital. And on board, we had a driver, we had a patient and a paramedic. We believe that the suspected heirs were involved in the hijacking of the vehicle. It's not clear what the patient was seeking treatment for at the hospital or what urgent medical care was needed. Kiyata says the hijacked vehicle was headed toward the border with Somalia. And we have made appeals to both the Somalia administration across the border and also the local headers to intervene. And uh, possibly we get back the vehicle plus the occupants. The abductions come as the Somali government conducts what President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud calls 
an all-out war against the Islamist militants. Kiyata says today's night abductions may have been a reaction to Somalia's offensive against Al-Shabaab. What is happening across our border is that there is massive rooting, root out of those fellows. And we believe some of them could have maybe crossed over to our county and that is what we are dealing with at the moment. Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility for twin bombings on Saturday in Somalia's capital Mogadishu that left at least 121 people dead and about 300 injured. Meanwhile, the families of the four Kenyans abducted are waiting and hoping for good news. Ahmed Hussein for VOA News, Wajia, Kenya. Tanzania's army has deployed hundreds of troops to help firefighters who have been battling a blaze on Africa's highest peak, Mount Kilimanjaro, for almost two weeks now. Tanzania's National Parks Authority says the fire has destroyed hundreds of hectares of the mountain's forests. Tanzanian tour operators and porters worry their trade will dry up if the fire isn't brought under control soon. Charles Kombe reports from Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. According to a statement from Tanzania's People's Defense Force Tuesday, the troops have already joined efforts to fight the fire in Mount Kilimanjaro National Park. The statement said the army will fully cooperate with other stakeholders to prevent further damage to the park. The fire broke out October 21st in Karanga Camp, an area located about 4,000 meters above sea level. Some 500 people are battling to contain the blaze, including firefighters, national park staff, tour guides, and civilians. No injuries have been reported so far, and Tanzania's National Parks Authority says tourism has not been affected. However, tour operator Ali Malika says his business has suffered. He says it has really affected us. Since in some cases, tourists refuse to climb the mountain, worrying that the fire will affect them. Malika says, I think the fire will stop, because along with the ongoing efforts to contain it, there's also rain in some areas, which helps put out the fire. Two operators say, more needs to be done to stop incidents like this, including increased aerial surveillance. Freddie Mkonyi is a managing director of Fred Trekking and Safari's company. There should be satellite cameras to survey the whole area to identify threats and disasters like these, he says. If there's anyone involved in the fire, then the law will step in. Mkonyi asked that Kilimanjaro National Park is very big, so you can't have guards to cover the entire area. If we don't have the satellite, he says, we can also have helicopter patrols. Fires are common around Kilimanjaro at the end of dry seasons. In 2020, another fire broke out on the mountain and destroyed more than 95 square kilometers of vegetation and 12 huts used by tourists. Mount Kilimanjaro, the highest mountain peak in Africa, is one of Tanzania's leading tourist destinations. Around 50,000 people climb Mount Kilimanjaro annually, bringing tens of millions of dollars to the region. Charles Kombe, for VA News, in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. 
The Kimberly Process Plenary, which brings together key diamond industry players from across the world, kicked off in Havarona yesterday, which renewed calls to reform the organization. Lack of a consensus delayed the start of the meeting, with some participants pushing to have the Russia-Ukraine war included on the agenda. From Havarone, Botswana, reporter Mgundisi Dube has the details. Some participants who include the Kimberley Process, KP, Civil Society Coalition, want reforms which include redefining conflict diamonds. This comes amid concerns that proceeds from gems mined in Russia could be funding its invasion of Ukraine. Smiso Mlevu, the KP Society Coalition spokesperson, says failure to reach a consensus on putting Russia on the agenda was expected. I would say we are not surprised. This is why we've been calling for reform. Uh, we knew this was going to happen, that uh, the issue of uh, Ukraine-Russia was going to be topical. Right? But again, finding solution to it goes back to the issue of reform. Mlevo says the KP, established in 2003, has been left behind and needs to adapt to changing realities. The Civil Society Coalition expects um, the, plena- the ongoing plenary uh, here in Botswana to set the tone for reform, which really Zimbabwe is then supposed to preside over. If um, uh, we are able to develop the terms of reference and have them approved, um, then we will be happy because uh, uh, everything that is uh, holding back progress within the KP uh, is hinged on a lack of reform by KP. Zimbabwe will take over from Botswana as the Kimberley Process Chair after this week's plenary. Outgoing Kimberley Process Chairperson Jacob Tamahe warned the more than 350 participants to brace for long and hard discussions on the future of the Diamond Trade Body. There are many weighty issues on the agenda that we are very sure they are going to lead us into a very late, late night, but uh, we are prepared for that. Uh, the Kimberley process is so important to us. We will do what it takes to ensure that you know, the Kimberley process uh, succeeds. The Kimberley process' primary objective is to eliminate trade in illicit diamonds used to fund conflict. President Mukwezi Masisi, opening the plenary, said diamonds should be used for development. For Botswana, as the theme, the theme suggests, diamonds are a catalyst for sustainable development. Now, more than ever, we need your partnership to protect this industry and guard the livelihoods of multitudes across the globe who depend on this industry. Russia, the world's leading diamond producer, is represented at the meeting which ends Friday. For VOA, this is Mkondisi Dube in Habroni, Botswana. Scientists say an invasive mosquito species was likely behind a large outbreak of malaria this year in Ethiopia and a recent rise in the disease in Djibouti. The Associated Press says the species, known as Anopheles stephansi, has been seen in India and the Persian Gulf, as well as in Sudan, Somalia, Yemen, and Nigeria. The AP reports that a malaria scientist says the invasive mosquito was strongly linked to a rise in malaria in a major transportation hub in Ethiopia, Dardar 
Kurosawa. Another researcher blamed the increase on longer rainy seasons and the conflict in northern Ethiopia, which has reduced efforts to contain the disease. Scientists note that the species can breed in cities in contrast to native mosquitoes, which are most active in rural areas. They are also more likely to bite people outdoors, rendering mosquito nets and indoor spraying less effective. But health officials say other measures used in South Asia, such as using fish to eat larvae and eliminate buckets of standing water, may be adaptable to Africa. And that wraps it up for this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. And thanks again for tuning in and choosing the Voice of America.